You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 17. Today we're asking the question, what did Heinrich really say? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced every week and the show notes can be found at safetyofwork.com. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So you might have noticed that this introduction was a bit different and I didn't introduce Drew this week and no, it wasn't a mistake or, or human error. He's not with us today and instead I'm joined by Carsten Bush. Drew and I have decided that we're going to introduce some episodes into the podcast feed where we interview directly safety researchers about their work in a similar format to our usual episodes. So today, Carsten and I are asking the question, what did Heinrich really say? But before we get started, Carsten, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to be at Lund uh, undertaking this thesis on Heinrich's work? Yes, and thank you for making me part of this fantastic uh, podcast uh, business of yours. <clears throat> I really am uh, enjoy it. And let's see where uh, the next half hour takes us. My background. Um, going far back, I started as a mechanical engineer, or I was trained as one and was determined uh, already on a technical university. I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. And so I got into uh, to safety, started working as a safety advisor, mostly in railways-related uh, uh, companies. Did a bit uh, on in law school in the middle and decided then to move to Norway with my family where I continued in, in railways and eventually ended up in police where I work now as an uh, advisor, occupational safety in the police directorate. And we are so to speak, the head office of the Norwegian police force. And, well, fascinating area because you, you have to rethink uh, safety. Coming from an industrial and transport uh, business, uh, you have to rethink safety and risk uh, because uh, police is naturally much more risk-taking uh, than other uh, industries, so to speak, other sectors. For many years, I have had a, a well, interest in uh, the, the real the profession and and what makes uh, what makes a safety advisor. Uh, I don't want to say good safety advisor, but a, a useful safety advisor at least, yeah. and and also the the formal competence and the theory and and so on. I'm rather active in in uh, for the Dutch Society of uh, Safety Professionals. I do a quarterly uh, book review there, where I look at the recent and sometimes also a bit older literature and try to encourage uh, colleagues uh, to read some more, to, to get a deeper uh, knowledge. And at some point, a few years ago, I thought, I, uh, I, I want to formalize uh, my uh, and, and deepen my uh, knowledge a bit, mostly around uh, human factors, because uh, I've had uh, education as a safety uh, professional, but it was rather technical. 
And yeah. well, what we now might call old view also. Yes. And and well, that's how I ended up uh, in Lund. Uh, I was uh, was so lucky that my uh, my employer was willing to uh, finance uh, the participation, and uh, I started three years ago, I think. Graduated uh, a year ago, and well, uh, the past year I've also been active as a tutor for new students on the program Human Factors and System Safety at the University. Fascinating program. Yeah. No, it's a great it's a great program. We recommend it to a number of people, even as far away as Australia and New Zealand, if they can if they can make the trip and and do the work. So the title of your thesis was uh, titled Heinrich's Local Rationality. Shouldn't new view thinkers ask why things made sense to him? So what what inspired this research and that somewhat provocative title? Is it okay if if I go a bit back in time? Uh, because uh, why why would Carson start uh, discussing Heinrich at all? Uh, after all, uh, he wrote his main stuff in the 30s, and how is that relevant uh, now? For me, Heinrich was actually uh, the the starting point in uh, thinking critically uh, about safety. I don't know if if you've seen him at the time, but uh, a few years ago, 2010-11-ish, there were a lot of uh, discussions on um, Heinrich on various uh, forums, on on LinkedIn, etc. And the interesting thing was uh, I had uh, the old books from Heinrich uh, at home. I bought a bunch of uh, safety books uh, many years ago, uh, Reason, James Reason, and, and Normal Accidents, and all that stuff. And read them, but I had bought Heinrich on Amazon because I found them and I thought, well, classic text in safety. I, I want to have them, but I hadn't actually read them. So before I partook in, in these discussions on, on the fora, I thought, let me have a read. So I read, uh, I had two versions, 41 and 80. And then I concluded, wow, uh, there is a lot of people uh, arguing for Heinrich and arguing against Heinrich. And I got a feeling none of them had actually read Heinrich, which was, uh, well, quite a discovery for me. Then I started in Lund and well, I had several uh, thesis topics, but at one point there was an uh, assignment we had to make about uh, cost and safety. And I started drawing in Heinrich and I had already several times in the program remarked people we are uh, discussing Heinrich here but uh, we are discussing it in a cartoonish way uh, he said much deeper things things are much more nuanced than well, how we discuss them uh, so take care and at some point then uh, Johan Bergström my mentor uh, said uh, why, why don't you do uh, uh, pieces on, on Heinrich and well I was reluctant first, but I, I went that way. And, and my initial thought was, uh, let me do uh, some kind of a gene genealogy where you look at uh, what influenced Heinrich, uh, how did his work develop over 40 years or 50 years that he was uh, uh, active, and how has his work influenced others after him. And of course, that's way too uh, a huge a topic uh, for for a, a master's thesis. And then uh, reading all a lot of his stuff, and and also of course a lot of uh, new literature. I thought this mismatch there 
uh, Joef Heinrich, who uh, wrote things from the 20s to the to the 50s, and then uh, you have uh, the, the newer authors, who are really critical uh, at times, and the, the two don't quite match, not fully at least. And, and that was where I thought, well, that's an interesting uh, topic for a thesis. Uh, how do those uh, two uh, match? And also, there were some uh, questions I had about Heinrich's work for many years, like uh, his focus on, on direct causes. Why does he focus on, on this middle domino? While we've been taught uh, to, to focus on things more upstream, um, much more, uh, well, in, in the back, underlying. Why, why did it make sense to him? And then, then I had this, this, well, topic. Okay, he said something. Why did it make sense to the, to him? And and some authors say things about him. And why does it make sense to them to speak like that? And 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 that's that's it. well, my topic in a nutshell. Uh, the, the the three subjects: Heinrich. New view and why does it make sense? Yeah, and which is local it, rationality. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a captivating read, and it's interesting because I've done quite a lot of safety study, and as you said, a life's work of a of a man, and probably the man who was the first critical, you know, the first um, big critical thinker in safety gets boiled down to triangles and dominoes um, as the enduring as the enduring legacy. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the rest of this discussion, and I thought we might do it in two parts. I thought we might discuss first Heinrich's ideas since you've been through most of the original text and I admit I haven't been through the original text but I've read your thesis and um, and got a few notes and questions to ask you and then I, I wouldn't mind the second part being about let's talk a little bit about the new view and some of the new view authors and how Heinrich's been characterized by them and and some of that distance between maybe what he said and maybe how he's how he's being represented today and and see how far we get through that so where do you want to start? I suppose. I suppose should we start with the with the popular ratios? Should we start with the one and the twenty nine and and the three hundred and the eighty eight? We can start there. Yeah, sure. Uh, because that's the the things he, he is known for, and I would say uh, some of his brilliance is in these things, because it's one of the things that that struck me when I started uh, studying Heinrich properly was there's a lot of stuff we say uh, comes from him but he he, he didn't come with it originally uh, his work is very much the best of best of what was uh, around at the time and what he did and uh, dan peterson i'm paraphrasing now uh, said uh, uh, what he made heinrich uh, at the time was a unified framework he took uh, bits and pieces from other authors and uh, Louis de Blois uh, is is one very clear example. Louis de Blois was the first safety director of Dupont. Uh, wrote a book uh, some five years before Heinrich. And in that book, you, you see a lot of the concepts uh, that Heinrich uh, would make popular some years later, uh, like like the sequence uh, in an accident. It's it's the bra. It's it's not uh, not Heinrich. What Heinrich did uh, was he he took the concept, and then some ten years later, or a few years later, he he came with the dominoes. He had a, a very neat and and appealing picture uh, to it. The other uh, big uh, thing, maybe the biggest, uh, what shall I say, um, 
statement that Heinrich made was uh, that 88% of all accidents caused by humans, human failure on safe acts, etc. It was the common thinking of the time. Um, what he basically did was uh, add a ratio backed by some kind of study, which we can uh, have a lot of uh, comments about, uh, but uh, he, he had this uh, ratio, 88-10-2, uh, it anchors in. It's very easy uh, easy to, and, and the same with, with the famous triangle. Uh, that was actually, I think, an idea that was very much his own, because I haven't found a lot uh, about it uh, in earlier safety literature, a bit. Uh, years back, but uh, the, the the reacting on weak signals, I think that was a pretty much Heinrichian uh, contribution, and 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 a strong nudge towards uh, more proactive uh, safety management or accident prevention, as he called it initially. And and again with 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 a brilliant uh, picture, a triangle, and 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 numbers that are very easy to remember. You you never forget a one twenty nine three hundred ratio because it's so neat. And yeah, I think that idea, and um, I suppose just for our listeners, that idea of the the triangle and the ratios of you know three hundred minor incidents and twenty nine serious incidents or one fatality or however it's represented. My understanding is from from your thesis, it's in nineteen twenty eight sort of paper where it emerges after a review of something like 75,000 accident reports. And it's interesting the way you go on to say that he wasn't actually saying that uh, you have to manage the 300 to prevent the one. He was talking more about, you know, we should use those 300 as as weak signals and the potential for other types of events to be occurring in our business. And that if we're not doing that, that we're, um, I think a quote from Heinrich, that we're often misdirecting our efforts and ignoring valuable data. And I mean that could be straight out of that could be straight out of HRO literature from the nineties from Vike and Sutcliffe, you know, straight out yeah, of yeah. And it's 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 so recognisable uh, because we all act uh, if something really bad has happened, then we start to investigate, and then he turned it around and said, uh, well, we we have a lot of small stuff here that might have been uh, much worse, so why not act on that? And and he calls it. Uh, opportunities, which I think is, is a very beautiful way of phrasing it. Uh, you have 300 opportunities here, which you can choose to do something with or not. Yeah, yeah. And and I suppose if we keep moving through some of the things, and, and maybe I'll just throw some things that were really interesting to me from, from your thesis, that he started talking in 1923 about the indirect and hidden cost of accidents by the seam of it, and actually started talking about accident prevention being good business. So this idea that good safety is good business. Was that in the literature before Heinrich started yes, talking about it? Yes, quite a lot. Uh, there, there, was, uh, there were several big studies uh, in the early 20s. Uh, I think even a congressional uh, study uh, in, into uh, safety and efficiency and yeah, safety and cost. And, and in a lot of uh, old, early 20th uh, century uh, safety literature, there is already hinted on uh, the hidden cost or intangible cost or what, what they are called as early as, well, 15 or something. Yeah, well. As far as I recall, and then probably even before that. Yeah, so, okay. uh, yeah. Again, it, it, it wasn't anything new. The, the new thing uh, Heinrich added was uh, the ratio. So he, he made it uh, look much more scientific, which is the uh, subtitle of his book, Scientific Approach, 
so, so they actually looked at first 100, then 1,000, and then I think 5,000 cases, and, and they came at this average, uh, well, one to four. And, and then he, he does the, the trick that he mentions the one to four uh, the whole time, so people remember it. Yeah, and and he even made made front page news with it, which is quite <laughs> cool for a safety uh, <laughs> advisor, I think. Oh, and look, it's interesting. You mentioned in your thesis that he became that he that he seemed to become somewhat of a celebrity within these safety circles by the end of the nineteen twenties, and he was going all around and and presenting all over the place, and people at the time were traveling hundreds of miles to come and listen listen to him talk. And I mean, that's similar to how we how we think of a modern day Sidney Decker or Eric Holnagel. You know, traveling, traveling around and talking about about their ideas. So it's quite amazing to think about that in the 1930s and and you know pre pre World War II anyway. So you you talked you talked about prevention as well. Um, and I think there's a statement in there that you know I think it's um from Heinrich that accident prevention is possible with knowledge of causes and a will to act. And you you referred to Heinrich as being somewhat of an optimist in his belief that belief that we could actually get better at safety management and we could. We could uh, we could fix these hazards. Yeah, de- definitely. Uh, his tone is uh, I-, I compare him to uh, self-help uh, literature. One of the things that struck me uh, when I really studied his work, uh, and and besides his books, I- I've dug out uh, some fifty papers that were hidden in vaults and on the internet, uh, etc. So I think I got a quite rich uh, rich source uh, there. It's it's interesting to see that uh, we think of him as a safety scholar or safety author at least i think uh, he would have liked uh, to see himself first uh, and foremost as a management uh, advisor because uh, that's the the audience for his book Uh, he he says uh, first uh, of all this is written for uh, employers for top executives and and then he adds some others uh, that that might benefit, but he addresses uh, top management, and he he discusses uh, things uh, like accident prevention and safety management in in a really uh, encouraging way. And he says several times, uh, "Well, y- you can do this. This is simple. You just uh, or not just, but uh, follow the principles uh, you already uh, follow for production, for quality, for." other management and and those uh, work for safety as well so you can do this prevent those accidents because you can yeah and i suppose we we believe maybe because of the ratios the 88 percent of incidents being caused by you know the the operator or 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 the human we sort of maybe maybe form the assumption that that was that was his view on where safety had to be solved but interestingly you talked a bit about how he really believed in the role of the employer and executives that, that safety needs executive interest and support and action. It needs knowledge of the accident facts and it needs kind of appropriate and effective action at all levels of the organization. So he was quite holistic in his ideas about how a firm needs to run and approach approach safety management effort. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, of the stuff he said uh, was lost in translation uh, over the years and Maybe also in his in his own speeches, uh, because uh, I, I don't recall who said it. I think at Todd Conklin, uh, it's pretty hard to to hear the rest after you've heard a big statement uh, about eighty eight percent of all stuff is caused by uh, by uh, unsafe acts. 
well, your year, 88% causes unsafe acts. Practical brains uh, go immediately in the let's fix that mode. And whatever came after, uh, well, can't be that interesting because we have 88% here. Yeah, yeah. But I think, as we said, we said earlier, maybe we've all we've all written things that so, and we never know what's going to endure. I mean, you just need to ask Jim Reason about uh, the Swiss cheese model and his lifetime yeah. of work as as well. Um, so a couple of lesser things that I didn't didn't refer you you made a subtle reference in your in your um, thesis to Heinrich's early suggestion for a hierarchy of controls, where he preferred you know he, like whole chapters in his early books on machine guarding and procedure yeah. revision rather than behavioral controls, which is kind of at odds with that 88%, which, which suggested that he did, he did really think about, you know, ways to eliminate and isolate and engineer out, you know, hazards in the workplace that didn't have to rely on the operator. Could you find sort of similar ideas around the hierarchy of controls in the literature at the time, or is that something you think might have been? In, in the past year, I've uh, acquired most of uh, the, the literature that Heinrich lists in his bibliography. So those are uh, safety books uh, from the 1910s to 1920s. And uh, hints at hierarchy of controls are found in those already. Yes, there are some, some other authors, um, I don't recall them now, uh, that uh, that uh, put a lot of stress on procedure revision or uh, adapting the the environment and and it, it, actually if you if you go back to to Frederick Taylor the big bad guy in in <laughs> management science <laughs> uh, he actually proposed uh, let's first of all uh, adopt the workplaces uh, to facilitate that one best way. Yeah, so so it's 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 even there. Look, you're you're laughing when you talk about um, Frederick Taylor, yeah. and I mean, I studied um, I studied under Sydney Sydney Decker for four years or so, and at one point might have been inspired by some of your your early reading, and and thought I might do the same. But I actually went and read Scientific Management and read some of the early work of Taylor through through there, and um, you know, it is it is interesting to reflect on the the version of what you think is the truth from what you read in other authors' works versus when you go back and read. And I was so surprised when I read Taylor's, you know, what was influencing him around that time. And, you know, he was he was very much advocating for the worker. You know, he was very much trying to understand how to manage production lines so that workers could get a fair day's pay. And then when Frank Gilbreth and others went off and started doing time in motion studies, he said, no, I don't want to be a part of this. This is suppressing the workers' rights. This is suppressing their... Yeah. Um, their ability to earn income and and so on, and it he yeah you know, I only did a very very small snippet of you know what you were able to do with Heinrich, but it's um you know the power of going back to that original text and just trying to understand the context around when it was written and what the author was trying to achieve is you know vitally important, and we'll probably talk a bit about that in a little while. I wanted to maybe if I bridge across now because we're going to talk about authors. So there was another idea in there which you you threw away that um. If you wanted to cherry pick or be selective in, in some of Heinrich's writing, or maybe even broader than that, you could very much find some of these contemporary ideas in his works, and particularly that mm -hmm. idea that people are the solution. So I want to throw two quotes um, at you, mm -hmm. one, one from Heinrich in 1931, which says, in many cases, safety may be promoted by employing the ingenuity and mechanical genius of workmen in the average plant in the revision of process and procedure. And then another mm -hmm. um, quote that I think was quoted in... Um, Bird's work or someone else's work, but I've got Heinrich in 1940 here that says that Heinrich 
I think it's Heinrich when it refers to he, would prefer capable and experienced men who work under unsafe conditions rather than incapable and inexperienced men who work under safe conditions. So these quotes, these are these are really interesting quotes when we think about the popular interpretations of Heinrich's work. Yeah, uh, especially the 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 second one, uh, it it really jumped at me. and I think uh, this 1940 paper, and, and it's it's uh, included in 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 the later books uh, as a part of a chapter. I think that was quite a groundbreaking uh, work for him. Uh, and to look at that way, uh, okay, I, I would rather have people to say in in modern words uh, that are able to adapt to the situation and and handle it safely. Which is a very modern definition of, of safety, I think. Yeah, handle handle uh, work under uh, different uh, circumstances. Then that he would uh, have the let's say cartoonish, Tayloristic uh, uh, version where you you build a workplace, you make it safe, you put in some monkeys there. Yeah. Excusez le mot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 uh, well. They probably be fine because what 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 can they do? <laughs> we, we we make it foolproof. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Heinrich says he he would rather prefer the, the 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 riskier version where you put capable people in uncertain circumstances. Yeah, and that's amazing because even then he he knows that it's that you're the fool if you think that you've made something foolproof. So let's move on to some of the authors because, um, like you said in the title about the new view and local rationality, you. you you spent quite a bit of your thesis actually looking at, maybe if I go back a little bit, just some of your your graphs in your thesis around your Google search where just a proliferation of Heinrich references in the safety literature, say between 2005 and 2010, just, just how much he's been spoken about in the safety literature and then by who he's been spoken about. And just for our listeners, you you kind of went through almost all of those references and all of the key authors that our listeners might know of, Decker, Holnagel, Conklin, Long, and a long list of um, other minor authors, and and actually looked at the context in which they had quoted Heinrich's work and and your thoughts on on those quotations. So, do you want to just start talking a little bit about how you saw Heinrich show up in the in the New View literature and how it made you felt having read quite a lot of the original texts? Yeah, um, if you look at the New View literature and well. It's probably hard to really define it, but say the work of Holnagel, Decker, uh, Woods, etc. Uh, some some of the uh, authors that we would put in in a new view uh, don't uh, speak of Heinrich at all. Yeah, David Woods, for example, uh, Jens Rasmussen, not not a word, and neither does James Reason. James Reason refers uh, at one point uh, fleetingly to to Bird's Triangle, but that's that's about it. And the situation is like that until well, early 2010s. The only uh, uh, say new view author who actually uh, spends uh, some time on Heinrich is Eric Holnagel. And he starts, I think, in the, I don't have the, the graph before me now, uh, in, in the early 2000s, when uh, Holnagel started uh, developing his various stages in accidents models, like linear, and then the dominoes is the arch, arch type of the linear uh, accident model. And he goes to the, I don't know what he calls them, pathological, I think, where, where he puts the, the Swiss cheese, and, and then the systemic models, like from, etc. And stamp, and so and, on, yeah. And a stamp and so on. Yeah. 
and and he has the, these different categories, and and he uses uh, Heinrich uh, well constantly over the over the next twenty years, from say two thousand ninety nine or two thousand till today. He, he refers to that, and it's not even judgmental. And and then uh, something interesting starts in in early two thousand tens. That there is, uh, seems to be a sudden sudden interest. Uh, by some new uh, view authors uh, in Heinrich. Uh, a good example, I think, and, and maybe the most typical example is, is Sidney Decker, uh, who uh, has written uh, three versions of the field guide on human error. And the first two uh, can do without any Heinrich. And then in the third, there are two pages uh, where he, well, let's say, trashes uh, the, the pyramid. And uh, which I uh, always had a feeling like, uh, what what was this? Why did this happen? And, and uh, for for me, it doesn't uh, really fit into the book. Uh, and well, that was one of the questions that, that triggered also my uh, my study. Uh, uh, what what's happening here? Why? why why did you do so? And and I asked Sydney, and then he said, well, uh, one explanation is. His move to Australia, contact with mining industry, where these symbols uh, were uh, very much communicated and also misused. Because that's clear, a lot of uh, Heinrich's work is misused for whatever reason. So look, I think we might be to to blame a little bit, um, Carsten being down in Australia and and having Sydney come down and discover that. And I think absolutely the 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 triangle as an artifact appears in in company safety reports all the time. And I think we also there was all, if I just, my reflections on reading your thesis um, and one possible explanation might have been Professor Hopkins is also very uh, prominent within Australian literature yeah. and he talked a lot about um, near misses and weak signals and and the need to learn from those. And I think Australian industry put together um, Hopkins's calls for a reporting culture and the need to learn from all of those incidents with the nice picture of a, of a triangle and Every single company has a has in its corporate safety reports, particularly through sort of in that period ten years ago, were testing themselves to see you know what their ratios looked like and whether they had a reporting culture. So, so where, where they are and benchmark, etc. And and it's not only Australia. I've end of last year, I've done a huge study of of triangle papers and literature. Uh, the 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 British or uh, the UK's uh, HSE uh, for years they had a triangle in their report, but I show this is the state now. Yeah, and I think with um with like what you mentioned with triangles and with icebergs, and you mentioned um you know DNV and their loss control model. You mentioned Dupont um, and behavioural safety, and you mentioned all of these models that came through the early two thousands all had some kind of a representation of a of a ratio model. Of uh, of either unsafe acts to to you know near misses to to fatalities or or whatever that looked like. So you include in your thesis a discussion, I think, from um, Jean Christophe Lacoza or others about how safety models sort of endure and the characteristics of these models that endure. You know that they're they're somewhat simple and and memorable and and generalizable across different situations. And you know, I think it's a perfect example of one of those types of models. That's their strength. And, and because they are so simple, uh, people uh, find it easy to adapt them to their own uh, goals also. 
and and then only get the most shallow version of of the message while the, the real message is and and take the swiss cheese then uh, i think it's it's a brilliant example because there's a lot of talk about the swiss cheese model as being linear and static and and it isn't even in in the first description uh, reason writes about uh, these holes that are moving over the place and changing in size and then opening and closing and there are feedback loops but, but you look at the picture and you see some barriers in a row and yeah. and, and an arrow going through them and another arrow stopping and well you, you make sense and and you give your own explanation yeah. L- losing all all the the, the well the other richness in the model uh, yeah just because of the easy understandable picture which which is the strength and and the curse of of the of the picture yeah exactly that's the curse you know to try to the strength and the curse make something simple enough so that it's understandable and and usable but obviously then the flip side is all of the nuanced context gets gets lost in that simplification so um is there any what are the, what are the other things that we haven't spoken about in relation to Heinrich's work that you think are useful for people to understand in a sense of what he was saying Oh boy, that's a that's a that's a pretty uh, big question. So we didn't really touch on proximal causes and why it made sense for him to focus on proximal causes to the incident. Do you want to? Yeah, because that was pretty central. It is uh, very essential, and as I said, uh, this was one of the things that that have uh, really bugged me for years. And then I was thinking, well, it would be cool to to just talk to him about it, and then well. That isn't possible. So I did the next best thing and read a lot uh, of his stuff. And what I found out, um, we uh, know his uh, domino model uh, very well uh, because again, again, of the picture and and it's easy. And there you have this picture where he picks out or a hand picks out the middle domino, the direct causes, the unsafe acts or unsafe conditions. And if you fix those, uh, the stuff afterwards doesn't happen. That seems to be very much focused on uh, direct causes. And it is if you stop reading there. If you then progress to the next section, then it shows that there is actually much more thought behind it. uh, uh, Because Heinrich starts then speaking about underlying causes. And uh, one thing he is very clear about since the 1940 paper uh, we mentioned, not in the earlier versions, but since 1940, uh, he's quite consequent uh, in saying if you find unsafe acts, the uh, thing to do then is find reasons for these unsafe acts. Because you can, and uh, I posted it on LinkedIn this morning, but I don't recall what it said. Uh, it's, it's something like a, you can maybe fix the unsafe act, but uh, to, to have a lasting uh, effect, uh, you, you need to address those uh, those reasons uh, too. So, so why 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 did people do that? Because they were, for example, on the prediction pressure. I think he mentioned that as one of the examples. And and then uh, his advice is uh, don't focus on 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 the, the the behavior, the unsafe act, but go that step back and and do something about well restructuring the process or uh, do something about the physical environment. Because then you will uh, uh, eliminate uh, this uh, this unsafe act in the future, or at least reduce the possibility, so probability, it, whatever. Yeah. 
So that's almost exactly the idea that the behavior of the operator is uh, is a symptom of, um, of of the functioning of the system. He, he never says that, but it's it's a logical uh, conclusion. And and the the reason for him, and he actually spells it out. And when I read his books for the first time in 2010 or whatever, uh, I must have missed it. But you miss all that always a lot the first time around. Uh, he's, he actually explains uh, that uh, his aim is a practical aid for again managers, and that's why he emphasizes uh, the direct solution, the simple solution over the, the more deeper understanding. And he says if, if, if the simple solution doesn't work, it doesn't help enough, uh, you have to go deeper. And sometimes that means going deep to, up to the management level because uh, maybe you need bigger funding or, or whatever. But uh, he, he says those are the rare cases because mostly you, you can fix them much easier. So he, he is a very practical man and that's why he chose, okay, stop there and only go further if necessary. And I really like that bias for action because we can get caught up in our own heads in safety quite a lot in organizations today. And I like a quote that um, I was going to start with, but I don't think I mentioned it at the start of the podcast. It was in your thesis from him in 1931 um, or which is something like it's time to stop talking, roll up our sleeves, and go to work. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think it's it's the closing word from the from the uh, from the summary of his book. Uh, yeah. Just four pages, which is a lot of what what I said. Optimistic, uh, you can do this, and now roll up your sleeves and go to work. Yeah, good advice <laughs> yeah. to good advice to safety practitioners. And I think yeah. also you you one of the other things we didn't touch on was that um, Heinrich was probably one of the very early advocates of the professionalization of safety. So this idea that yes. the prevention of accidents is a science, but it's not being recognised nor treated scientifically today. And he said that in 1928 and talked about what he thought safety management needed as a, as a scientific and a professional discipline. So with that as a backdrop, do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe maybe some practical takeaways from what you learned during your research that might apply to the safety profession today? Well, one important lesson I, I really uh, want to, well, there, there are two important lessons I, I really want uh, my, my colleagues, my peers over the world to to, to remember, uh, the first one is try to take that rational, uh, local rationality perspective, uh, as much as you can. Uh, of course, it's, it's not a method. It's not a method. It's, it's approach. It's an attitude that you, uh, that is, uh, well, to, to understand behavior and, and events, make sense of, uh, events. Why, why, why did it make sense, uh, for the people to do such and so? I applied it to something completely different. I applied it to, to safety literature. And I think it's, it's a great approach also there, uh, because it suspends, uh, a judgment. I, I don't take sides. I, I'm not uh, for Heinrich he, or against Heinrich. He, he wrote brilliant stuff. He, you quote some. He wrote also some stuff that makes me cringe about ancestry. I, I really still don't understand why he did that. <laughs> or, or what he meant, he, he doesn't explain, but it, it makes me feel very, very awkward uh, reading it. But uh, I'm still curious. Uh, I want to find out why did it make sense uh, for him to write this down in that way? And, and what, what did he mean by it? And, and I think that leaves your mind open uh, to, to learn something. And, 
and, and you can always reject it and they just think, oh, well, this is not useful or this is outdated or plainly wrong or, or whatever. So that, that, that's one lesson, local rationality and as much as possible in, in any setting. And I think it's, it's also a very liberating view because uh, if I've spoken to hundreds of safety people, uh, well, I don't understand my management. They seem to be living on a, on a planet. And yes, they do. And that is where local rationality, they are not safety advisors at the, at the front. No, they are top management in, in their ivory towers and, and they have a different uh, perception of reality. So yes, try to, to take that view and it will actually help you doing a better job. So that's one. The, the other one is uh, if you can try to find uh, uh, primary sources and do not rely on hearsay because as I hopefully have shown, uh, a lot goes lost in translation and also in translation by people who are trying to, to convey the message as, as clearly as possible or as original as possible because my thesis uh, quotes a lot, but it's influenced by my thoughts. So it's not a, not a good source either, uh, probably. Yeah. I think those both. Are, it's it's a it's a biased source. Yeah. Oh, look, they're both. It's both a sage-like advice for a safety professional generally to um to seek to understand why things make sense to people and go straight to the source. You know, whether that's a whether that's a piece of literature or whether that's a, a person at the front line of your organisation. I think that's um that's great advice. So, Carsten, look, I not everyone likes to read a whole thesis. I don't know if anyone's read mine. Even my family, even my family, I don't think's read read mine. Even though it's a great source because most of them are publicly available, including yours. So do you have any plans to make this content about Heinrich more um, accessible to, to the world or any other projects that you're currently w working on that you... Those who don't like to read, uh, I have to disappoint <laughs> firstly, because I, I'm now in the process of writing a proper book on uh, Heinrich's work, trying to present, uh, well, who he was, which I think is, is an important uh, part of trying to understand why he wrote what he wrote, what he wrote. And, and then about his work and discuss the, the main themes in his work. And I will also discuss some of the critique of his work. So that's, that's uh, work in progress uh, to appear next year, I think. But it, it's going to be a lot to read. Um, if I have time for those who don't like to read, I really plan to do a, a really short version, some kind of a, well webinar or something uh, put out uh, on the net, but I can't promise when it's finished. The, 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 the material is there, so uh, I just need to find some hours to, to do it, but I, I prioritize the book for now. No, that's good, and you could always do what Sydney Decker seems to be starting to do, which is uh, which is record his uh, books as audio books, because some people might want to listen to your voice for seven or eight hours rather than rather than read read the text. I hate reading aloud, and I hate <laughs> hearing my own voice. So <laughs> oh, well. I, I would I need someone who is who has a sexy voice doing this. Ah, <laughs> oh, you don't J have James to. Old Jones uh, or something <laughs> like yeah. Oh, well, you don't have yeah, to listen. Yeah. You don't have to listen to it. Listen to it yourself. But Carsten, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to to organise and coordinate this. 
halfway around the world and really appreciate your comments. I'm really interested in some of the listeners' feedback about how they found the interview approach because Drew and I plan to do quite a number of these interviews. There you go. Like like Carsten says, direct with the source rather than the two of us commentating on researcher work will where we can um, introduce some some direct conversation with the researchers them, themselves. So that's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Please join us in our discussions on LinkedIn or send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes directly to us at feedback at safetyofwork.com. 